0: Good afternoon. It's Friday the 5th of March 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me in the studio today, Patrick Henningson from 21st Century Wire. Welcome to the program,
1: Patrick. Great to be with you, Mike.
0: Um, uh, well, we've been talking about it. We've been warning about it. Uh, more variants coming, and a new variant has been announced today. There he is, sneaking uh, in the background there. Where's he from? Uh, it's not clear exactly where he's from. So we've got, the, we've got the Brazilian
1: variant. We've got the South African variant. We've got the Kent variant. And well, the Kent variant is variants,
0: the UK variant now, and, oh, and, of course, it's been upgraded. and of course, we've got the original and the best. Uh, so we've got more variants coming out of our ears than, than we know what to do with. So uh, scientists, have, according to the government, identified 16 cases of another new variant of uh, coronavirus in the UK. Uh, public health thing that is designated as a variant under investigation uh, <laughs> trademark. Uh, meaning that it's on their watch list, but not one that they're immediately concerned about. It, it has a mutation in common with the South African and Brazil variants. So again, mm-hmm. we ask the question: Have that has this arisen from the uh, from uh, immunity escape uh, from the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine we, uh, trials? We don't know. Uh, and uh, so this apparently is going to help the virus evade some immunity from vaccination or prior infection. Why is that important? Well, as we pointed out a number of times now. The lockdowns are lifted only if uh, the government's assessment of the risks is not fundamentally changed by new variants of concern, I trademark. Um, So this is the situation now, Patrick. Uh, We have, uh, the UK now has eight variants on its watch list, four variants of concern, trademark, and four variants under investigation, trademark. So uh, the government is producing new uh, terms with capital letters, uh, new brands uh, which are being pushed through the mainstream press at every opportunity, particularly by the BBC. Um, and that's why we're uh, sort of making fun of it by calling it a trademark. But it, it is it is actually being pushed as a brand.
1: So let me get this straight. We've, we've been studying science and virology and epidemiology as a civilization for a few hundred years, right? And all of a sudden, in the last two, three months, a whole new lexicon has been invented. Yes, right. Okay. Can, can, uh, can anybody prove that anybody has gotten ill or sick from any one of these variants? Can they prove that scientifically in a, in a clinical setting? Have they done that yet? Is it possible? Has it, Has anybody done it? Or are we just in the realm of theory and pseudo-scientific fantasy here?
0: Uh, these are good questions. Um, So, of course, with variants and with vaccines, uh, increasingly the talk is of vaccine passports. Passport, that word seems to be falling out of favour, as we'll see in a second. Uh, But what's been going on in Australia, Patrick?
1: Well, uh, in New South Wales, um, they are now implementing uh, a vaccine passport programme. As far as we know, this is the first country that has officially Uh, begun to roll this out in Australia. This is the state of New South Wales. Uh, So let's take a look at a a news clip uh, just, I believe, from last night on this.
2: A vaccine passport held on your phone is being considered in New South Wales as the ADF is brought in to accelerate the rollout of the COVID jab. Let's go to our Sydney reporter now, Gabrielle Boyle. Gabby, good morning. How's this going to work? Good morning, Sylvia. Well, for generations, Australians have been flashing their licence to prove their age, to get into a pub or club to have a drink. Now we could be flashing our New South Wales services app to prove that we've had the vaccine and we're safe to go inside a venue. It's all part of a plan that the New South Wales state government is taking a very close look at. Imagine that you want to go into a hospitality venue, you want to board an aeroplane, or you want to go into an entertainment premises. You simply pull out your phone and prove that you've had the vaccine Scene, not only to protect other patrons inside that venue but to protect people working inside those venues as well and this could be in place in just a few months time. All this as we receive confirmation that Australian Defence Force personnel will be called on to administer the vaccines, particularly in regional areas of New South Wales. Australian Defence Force doctors and nurses rolled out across the country to make sure that those most vulnerable at first are given the vaccine. Sylvia?
0: So, isn't it incredible how the same types of narratives uh, seem to be coming out right across the world? Nothing to do with uh, rapid reaction mechanism there.
1: Completely streamlined. So again, you've got the troops on the street delivering vaccines. Uh, you've got the implementation of vaccine passports. They're calling it a service app in in Australia, Mike. I mean, what on earth could they possibly be planning for the future? That it's they're not even calling it. The, the, the vaccine passport officially, it's unofficially a vaccine passport. They're calling it the services app. That means it's going to be used for access mm-hmm. to everything. They've already got the no jab, no pay system with Australian benefits recipients, okay? So if you don't get the jabs or your children don't get the, the vaccines, um, you don't get the money, you don't get the benefits. They've been doing that for mm-hmm. for a few years in Australia. But if so you can see, if they manage to get traction on this, Mike, in Australia, they will add the COVID vaccine and all of the various updates of the vaccines onto this kind of quid pro quo uh, benefit, uh, no jab, no pay scheme. Mm. That's for single mothers, that's for schools, this is for income support, all of
0: that. Uh, And jobs as well, of course, as we're seeing that narrative rolled out in this country as well. Well, what's the EU doing? Uh, Here is uh, lesoire.be website. And, uh, well, let's just do a quick translation on this. A European Certificate for Travel, Didier uh, Reindeers, or whatever his name is, uh, Reindeers uh, is uh, giving details, apparently. So let's have a look at what he had to say. Uh, in The fact of having been ill, of having been vaccinated, or having undergone PCR tests is what's going to be on this certificate. Obviously, there'll be no discrimination. Of course not. Uh, the vaccine is not compulsory. Uh, but... Uh, As you're hinting at with the Australian situation, what the British government is hinting at, what the mainstream media is hinting at with the no jab, no job policy, uh, there'll be no discrimination except where there is. There won't be compulsion except where there is, because if you don't have uh, the vaccine and you don't have an appropriate uh, passport, you don't get access to services, you don't get access to the NHS, the health service, you don't get a job. Uh, and so on. Uh, What did uh, Didier go on to say? Uh, These data, the data that's collected under this will be linked to the COVID pandemic. And when we come out of this pandemic, we will erase them. So they're, they're not gonna keep the data, don't worry. They're gonna gather the data. They're gonna use the data while there's a pandemic. But once the pandemic ends, they're gonna erase all the data. Uh, he doesn't say anything about any of the data that's derived from the, de- the data that's collected. And as we'll see later on, this is a good question because uh, the, 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 the direction of travel is that data is uh, manipulated, data is put through machine learning and AI, uh, and, and policy comes out the other end.
1: And that's your medical records, just to be clear, uh, right?
0: Absolutely, yes, absolutely. That's you, you well, and if your it, medical records. Yes, that's correct. Um, he went on to say it is a legislative instrument which will be binding on member states. So in other words, this is going to be uh, a European uh, Union directive. Uh, the goal is to adopt it on March the 17th uh, in commission and then in Parliament and Council uh, so we can have it in the summer. Um, but what's interesting, as I was saying, is this is if we look at uh, the kinds of data that they are talking about, whether you've been ill, whether you've been vaccinated, whether you've undergone a PCR test, that's the kind of data we're talking about. Um, and this is going to be available this summer for what? For traveling on holiday? For, uh, for everything that you do? We do, will,
1: do you think any of the behavioral insights teams and any of these governments, Mike, will be interested in analyzing that big data set? What do you think?
0: Uh, Yes, quite a lot. So
1: it's going to be going to them as well. But
0: not just them. Insurance companies, all kinds. Mm. This is a big question. Are people going to be able to get car insurance? Are you going to be able to get insurance uh, for the things that you need insurance for day to day? What's your life insurance policy going to say uh, whenever, uh, you know, is it going to be? have some uh, implications based on your your status or uh, your, with your app. Or your private medical insurance in 10 years' time, possibly. Uh, uh, indeed. But anyway, the, the point here is the EU saying not a passport, it's a certificate. Well, let's just uh, have a look at this, because here is uh, the latest number of signatures on the Do Not Roll Out A COVID-19 Vaccine Passport petition on the UK government website. Uh, 261,288 when I took this uh, screen grab this morning. Um, And so uh, Parliament will apparently debate this petition on the 15th of March 2021 and you'll be able to watch that on the UK Parliament uh, YouTube channel. Uh, But this is what they say in their statement. Uh, The government is reviewing whether COVID status certificates could play a role in reopening parts of our economy, reducing restrictions on social contact and improving safety. So Patrick, my question to you is. Is it a coincidence that the British government and the EU government are using the term certificate rather than passport? Is that just a coincidence? Or is there a unified uh, policy being implemented here?
1: Um, yeah, they're using the term, A, because the vaccine passport will soon have a stigma attached to it because there's been some pushback in opposition. But the other thing is, is you're right, the certificate will be ubiquitous. So services app, as mm-hmm. they're calling it in Australia,
0: um, so where does that take us with regards to the EU?
1: Well, uh, well, here is, uh, there she is, Mike. Um,
0: in her carriage?
1: That's right. This Is, is she the, the
0: queen now? Well,
1: this is uh, HRH, Ursula van der Leyen. She is the queen of the European Union. And there she is in the horse and carriage with the footmen in tow and so forth and so on. So let's look at what uh, Ursula has been up to with regards to her new travel pass with Europe. There she is with... Herr Schwab there and at Davos, uh, virtual Davos. And uh, here's what's going on, Mike, with the European passport. The European Commission will discuss, notice how they're saying, we're just going to discuss it. they have practically already implemented it, okay? We're going to discuss the uh, uh, idea of a digital travel pass to boost tourism. There you go. They're saying we can't have tourism unless we have this vaccine pass in the UK the same thing People can't go back to work or leisure without some kind of digital certificate So this is like the 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 the, the gate that they're creating Mm -hmm. rather than just lift the policy and say go ahead open up Go back to work go travel instead of doing that. They're saying no. No, 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 no. It's not safe So let's put this gateway in and then you, you comply with that gateway, and then you can go and then we can open up. Mm-hmm. So they've, again, created, they are in charge of this rat's maze, okay? They've designed the rat's maze, they practically in, implemented it and they're deceiving the public by saying oh we're just thinking about it now because they want to do that to stave off any opposition mm-hmm. they don't want any early opposition to this like right now this week next week and before March 17th so basically they're trying to keep the dogs off mm-hmm. until they've already signed sealed and delivered it so let's go back here so the European Commission will discuss it and then after that so it could be introduced by July according to Brussels.
0: Well, that's that's not quite in time for the whole holiday season then, so they'll certainly be missing a little bit of the holiday season. Uh,
1: well, we could have some variant appear in the summer and could lock it down again. Uh-huh. And then this would just have give them another six months to implement this for next summer or next winter. So and here we go. Now, here's the kicker, Mike. All member states in the EU would need to buy in. So this is an all-for-one, <laughs> one-for-all approach. Uh, is what's needed here so if there's any dissenting states if there's any countries that aren't on board with this the whole thing doesn't work mm. there needs to be 100% compliance so the question is where would the dissent come from uh, on this so one of the countries is Ireland that's basically having a lot of protests especially in the last couple of weeks if you saw what happened in downtown Dublin it was unbelievable mm. the scenes were incredible so there's a real there's a lot of pushback in Ireland which is interesting on the fringe of Europe as it were mm. okay on the Other side of Britain who uh, is supposed to be out of the EU we're told anyway we'll more about that later but here is Leo Varadka and this is what he says so far regarding the vaccine passport he said the vaccine passports don't yet stack up scientifically or medically because we just don't know at this stage what extent vaccines reduce transmission now that's a pretty reasonable statement as reasonable as I've seen by some politicians, but it's still kind of wishy-washy mm-hmm. here from the uh, Minister for Enterprise Trade uh, and Employment here.
0: Former Prime Minister, of course.
1: Former Taoiseach, that's yeah. right. So so this is where Ireland is. So, so th- they're not having a great uh, success, Mike, in uptake in Ireland mm-hmm. uh, on this. So this is a bit of a problem. So will they be able to implement that with the Irish? And then this is also gonna be this issue between travel between Ireland and the UK Mm. on this vaccine passport. So we might be back to the Brexit argument with the border between the North and the South, possibly. I don't know if you agree with me on that, but- Uh,
0: It's all possible at this point. It's very unclear exactly how this is gonna pan out.
1: Yes. So, so one thing's certain: they're trying to front-run the opposition on this because they know that there's huge problems with this legally, with regards to human rights, domestic law, mm-hmm. and and constitutional rights, European Court of Human Rights, and also international law. Having to compel people to uh, take a medical procedure which they don't need, i.e., a vaccine for a respiratory virus that. Uh, has a 99.9% recovery rate and only really affects people uh, over 75 with multiple long-term chronic health conditions. So obviously compelling the whole population to be vaccinated with an experimental vaccine that hasn't gone through the proper regulatory regimes
0: well, under indeed, under
1: a state of emergency. That's a bit of a problem in terms of uh, international law.
0: Indeed, and it's quite an admission actually from Leo Veradkar there that we just don't know at this stage what extent vaccines reduce transmission
1: is isn't that the whole point yes so they're saying it's to protect Mm. you you need to get vaccinated to protect the other people and protect workers and Mm. things like that but does it protect them well does it give you immunity it doesn't according to the manufacturers does it stop transmission according to the manufacturers it doesn't so what does it do what is the point of it oh it reduces symptoms well that's interesting a lot of other pharmaceutical products including drugs, pills, various treatments, mm. reduce symptoms as well. So why not give people the option besides vaccines to take ivermectin, or if they wanna take mal- anti-malarial drugs, or there's a whole range of mm. therapeutics. If, if if the concern is that you're gonna catch COVID, but it, when you get down to it, Mike, it shows how ridiculous the mm. whole argument is. Yeah. But uh, so let's look at what's happening in Europe. Now, this is interesting. Let's look at the game plan here. How is this going to start? Well, it's already started. Take a look at this. Bilateral agreements have already been signed between these countries. This is Greece and this is their neighbor, Cyprus, okay? They've signed a bilateral agreement on vaccine passports and COVID passes basically for travel uh, between these two small Southern European countries. And guess who's come in, Mike, for a trilateral agreement on this? None other than the state of Israel. So, Israel is in there. So, that means you have multiple bilateral agreements between these three countries. Okay. And so, that's for the jab, basically. So, we, uh, we I don't know if you covered it in previous programs or not, but people will know that Israel has is gone hell for leather on their own internal vaccine passports. They already have it. They're restricting people to go to work, mm-hmm. access to supermarkets, everything, all services, everything. So they're re- Israel's probably the most aggressive country on the planet uh, in terms of vaccine compliance, mm-hmm. okay? And it's created a uh, an apartheid-type, two-tiered society already. There's a huge protest movement in Israel over this, mm-hmm. and uh, we might cover that in a future program. But let's take a look at this. So look at this situation here with this trilateral agreement, Mike. And so what did we talk about last week on this program? Well, we talked about this, the UK and Greece colluding to push new vaccine passport on holiday travelers. So what does that mean? Well, we're saying that there's now pressure on Brussels because of this, the UK in the background maneuvering has put pressure on Brussels to move quicker on the issue and bypass any due process, any legal reviews on vaccine passports. So let's take a look again at this picture. What does that mean? Well. Look at this. That means you've got the same bilateral agreements. Britain locks right in there with Greece, thus with Cyprus and with Israel. This is how this regime is going to be rolled out. And what does that mean, Mike? Look at that. Yeah. That's the EU as well. So we're told that Brexit happened again. And you have Britain going absolutely headfirst into a full-on European regulatory regime. you know, effect, effectively biosurveillance, biometric, digital ID, vaccine passport system here.
0: And this is exactly the model uh, that's been used to build up uh, European defence. It's, it's the same model, bilateral agreements between various EU member states. And then at a, some point in the future, those all get merged together into some unified regime right across the European Union.
1: So it becomes it becomes policy by fiat. Basically and they, they managed to evade any press or any media or any real public pushback mm. By doing this behind the scenes in a bilateral fashion. So let's go back and look at this now Let's take a look at how this what is this really Mike? Well, we've talked a lot about on this program in the past about what we've talked about this global Britain mm. So if, if you think about this regime here look at this think about this on a global scale why why is Britain the hardest lockdown country. Why are they pushing all of these measures? They're pushing vaccines, they're pushing vaccine passports, they're they're running a harder lockdown regime than any other country in the world, according to a recent index. Okay, so Britain is running point on this new, uh, this new ID system, this new basically uh, this creation of Davos, Mm. this great reset mechanism system Mm. of digital identities and vaccines from cradle to grave, okay? So Britain is running point on that. Through Global Britain, they'll be able to do this with multiple bilateral deals. Singapore will also be uh, a key part of this. That will be the hub of Asia Mm. to, to implement this in the Asia Pacific region, okay? Singapore is already advanced. In fact, Singapore is hosting the Davos summit. Yes. The World Economic Forum Summit. That is no coincidence that it's being done in Singapore. Singapore is Britain's outpost in Southeast Asia, okay? And they're the most aggressive on biosurveillance right now. I could tell you horror stories about the stuff that's going on in Singapore with regards to, you know, personal rights, privacy, and so forth. Mm. You know, it is full on technocracy there. And so that's the proving ground, that's the beta testing ground. So Britain will lock into that Mm -hmm. and then bring all of these other countries in the EU, will lock in all together. Next thing you know, you have this international system that nobody voted on, that nobody debated on, there were were no legal reviews done on, and it's just policy, Mm -hmm. and it's just the norm, basically. This is what's happening right now. So this leads us to this other question here. Let's take a look at this. Well, we, we flagged this up this week. What happened to Brexit, Mike? There's Boris Johnson following his, his boss, mm-hmm. perhaps, Ursula von der Leyen. So the UK and the EU are coordinating, actively coordinating, to push through vaccine passports. Let's look at this. This is from the prime minister's own spokesperson here. You can expect a department to work with and speak to countries across, across the world uh, on this. And I'll uh, we'll bring that quote up again. And... Basically, in terms of how they may look at introducing the passports, this is the prime minister's spokesperson. It's already been decided. Okay, they're just basically playing like they're they're reviewing it, and so you look at the BBC, uh, COVID-19. How will an NHS vaccine passport app work? So you can see this is this sort of. We're What's, all being
0: primed for this.
1: That's right here. This is nudging. This is nudging right here. The BBC's working hand in glove. So the person who's in charge supposedly of reviewing this, Mike, of reviewing this, who, what stellar person in the cabinet? What? Uh,
0: oh, I'm sure it's somebody that's uh, sitting in the cabinet office, perhaps. Someone that's
1: um, a paragon of morality. And truth. And, and integrity, right? Someone who's basically got the backs of the British people on this, right? Who could that be? Let's have a look. It's none other than, well, there he is. It's Michael Gove. So all of this is being put into the hands of Michael Gove. Fantastic article here by a great publication, uh, The Conservative Woman. There's a lot of great articles on this website. I encourage people to go look at it. So Farewell Integrity, The Michael Gove Story. This is by Daniel Miller. And this is just a really damning piece, Mike. Here, the price of admission to the cabinet uh, has been the surrender of his critical intelligence and demonstrated by his enthusiastic support for a third lockdown and the incineration of his moral framework. That's pretty harsh, Mike, but it gets worse. It is Gove who presides uh, in the cabinet office over the behavioral insights team, a group whose psychological warfare campaign against the British people represents one of the most naked abuses of science for political purposes since the Second World War. That's pretty harsh mm-hmm. and probably warranted. And
0: very accurate, yes.
1: And, uh, and it goes on. Thus, he has now put gove he's talking about Boris, in charge of leading the quote, review of vaccine passports in the expectation that he will complete the surrender of his soul by smoothing the path to the birth of a CCP, Chinese Communist Party, surveillance state in Great Britain. And a lot of people would say that's no exaggeration because that's exactly the direction of travel of this policy.
0: I think I think in his mind's eye he's looking at something much uh, bigger than that. Mm. A,
1: a, a, what, a new position?
0: No, ta- I'm talking about bigger than a than a, a Chinese-style surveillance state. Uh, they want they they look at China with envy in this respect
1: absolutely they do and finally here on completing this task Gove will be dispensed with the final tragic gesture of a completed failed career yet here there is a certain irony as the only minister with anything like a moral character this is debatable now, uh, even if a compromised one. Gove is amongst the few politicians in Europe with the possibility of a redemption arc. So they're they're leaving the door open for potential redemption here. I'm I'm not sure if I agree with that not part. Not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, that's what's being said. So great yeah. great piece amongst many great pieces at that website. Um, so Mike, so what's happened in the last couple of weeks? We've seen a lot of these anti-lockdown. Uh, high-profile dissidents, uh, journalists, uh, former law lords and so forth, they've all capitulated to the vaccine passport issue almost in a preemptive fashion. Mm. So they didn't put up any fight at all. And a lot of people are scratching their heads saying, what's going on here? Well, Peter Hitchens, you'll know uh, during this week here, this was his column last Sunday, I've had my COVID jab and all it cost me was my freedom, said Peter Hitchens on his blog and was roundly attacked after this by all of his supporters, many of them anyway, uh, on Twitter here. So sorry, your majesty's talking to the queen here, rhetorically, Uh, but I have had my first COVID vaccinations for wholly selfish reasons. Uh, I did not do it for the good of others, but for my own convenience." And Hitchens remarked that uh, he wanted to visit his family who lived abroad and he was tired of not seeing them, you know, so, I mean, there wasn't, he could have visited them in the summer, so it hasn't really been that long per se, but anyway, he has his personal reasons for doing this. So he's basically saying, we've lost the war, we've lost the battle. That's
0: what he was hinting at, but uh, then of course, was it yesterday, the uh, unheard, released the interview with uh, Lord Sumption. Uh, and, well, they tried to salvage some positivity out of it. Uh, they headlined uh, the item on their website as Lord Sumption, civil disobedience has, has begun. Uh, and so they had various quotes. I do recommend you read the whole thing or you watch the whole thing. Uh, but they pull out a few quotes, for example, this one uh, where he's saying that he feels sad uh, we have the kind of laws which public-spirited people may need to break and so on, and, and he's in, encouraging that. Uh, but uh, it was probably this section uh, that we're about to see now which, uh, which disappointed people the most. Let's have a listen to this.
3: But different behaviours for the vaccinated and non-vaccinated, and a lot of people's minds will start making them think about vaccine passports and you know documents that show which stream you're in, which... Poses new problems to liberty, doesn't it? Well, it does. Uh, I do not uh, have strong views about vaccine passports. Uh, They are an invasion of privacy, but the information in question is on government computers or NHS computers anyway, certainly whether you've been vaccinated or not is. Um, uh, So that I think the privacy concerns can be overstated. I do not like a world in which you have to produce a document in order to justify partaking in the ordinary um, activities of human existence any more than the next person. The trouble is that the alternative is even worse. Uh, I would prefer a system which was entirely voluntary and which trusted people. But uh, given that I don't think that that is a politically feasible option, I think that we have got to choose the least bad thing. And to my mind, a vaccine passport is a lot less bad than simply indiscriminately depriving everybody of what makes life worth living. Are you not worried that it's actually quite a major change in the way we run our society to suddenly say that every human being needs to take the latest government mandated vaccine and produce a document to prove it? Otherwise, they are essentially outcasts. They may not be able to go to a restaurant, get on an airplane, go to the cinema. That sounds like quite a big step. Yes, it is, and I think it's a regrettable step. Um, And if people were prepared to trust each other uh, and to rely on non-coercive measures, we wouldn't need it. Uh, But uh, I recognise that most of my fellow citizens want coercive measures, uh, and therefore it is incumbent on us, I think, to think of the least intrusive and the least objectionable coercive measures.
0: So the least intrusive, the least objectionable coercive measure. That what many people that have uh, spoken to me about that particular interview have said was how apparently uncomfortable he was all the way through it. He looked uh, physically, his body language was very much like he was uh, under
1: duress in a way.
0: Uh, yeah. like he he was presenting some information which he knew uh, was was either against his own views in reality or was uh, certainly not going to be popular. And I think, <laughs> I think I think it certainly isn't. But I mean, you know, if we start off with what he said at the beginning, um, he was talking about uh, the privacy concerns being overstated because uh, your status is on NHS computers anyway. Well, of course, the point here is that your data is not going to be staying on NHS computers. Your data is going to be shared. Who's it going to be shared with? We've mentioned insurance companies already. This, I think, is a major problem, uh, sharing uh, this type of data with insurance companies. Um, Obviously, airlines uh, and uh, obviously the app uh, producers in the first place.
1: And behavioural insights teams and law enforcement and so forth.
0: Right, so a whole whole range of people that are going to get access to health-related information which they didn't previously have access to. Uh, The government will undoubtedly claim uh, that data is secure, encrypted end-to-end or su- such like, um, but uh, this um, is this something, I mean, if Sumption's saying that uh, that the general public can't be trusted uh, in order to, to run a trust-based system for mm-hmm. this, that we've got to use coercive measures instead, uh, if that's really his position. Um, is the government any more trustworthy than than uh, the general public well in fact i would say the, the the government is by orders of magnitude less trustworthy than the general public so it's an it's, obvious question so yes so so where is this data uh, going to go and uh, i think he's massively understating the, the, the risks in that
1: but it's not just to me the whole data argument on this mike is 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 important but it's also it's also a red herring okay he's saying is you know it's not politically feasible to have a volunteer-based uh, system or a Swedish-style uh, system of governance. I mean, what is he talking about? The reason it's not politically feasible is because there is no political leadership who's offering that as an option, as leading the country mm. uh, towards a more common sense policy. That's why it's not politically feasible, because government, the mainstream media, Big Pharma, And all of these NGOs, like the World Health Organization, like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, like the Wellcome Trust, they're all acting like a cartel, Mike. They're acting like a cartel. They are fixing policy. So, of course, it's not politically feasible. And it probably, you know, it, it would help if you had persons of conscience, like Lord Sumption, raising the real fundamental issues on this, not about data privacy, but is it medically feasible? is it scientifically feasible the fundamental basis of this policy what is the fundamental basis of it is it sound is it based on any real science and we've talked about there's so many problems with the claims made by uh, political people about this these vaccines about their effectiveness about what they actually do do they actually protect people these are fundamental questions that are not being debated that are being heavily censored by silicon valley by omission in the mainstream media, by politicians, of course.
0: Uh, but it, but it's uh, more than that. If you go back a, a level even further, there's the question of whether any of this, any of this policy that we've seen in the last uh, t- twelve months has been necessary in the first place because of the very nature of SARS-CoV two, how infectious it is, and more importantly. Uh, what kind of mortality it produces. So so when Which you go gets- back to that, when you go back to that level and then you ask the question, did we need to be rolling out this vaccination program in the first place? Did we need to be rolling out these lockdowns in the first place? And the evidence for me is absolutely clear that we did not. Uh, and uh, that the evidence for me is quite clear that if it hadn't been for the behavioral scientists involved in this, uh, and the uh, mainstream media uh, cooperation with the behavioral scientist message, none of this would have happened. Um, so uh, so not,
1: that, not, not only that, on that meta level that you're talking about, Mike, the testing regime, PCR tests, being used to generate the data for cases, for deaths, for, quote, infections. And it's now been proven, it's been proven that the PCR test is wildly inaccurate and not fit for purpose to be used as a medical diagnostic tool. That basically destroys the whole premise of ramping up this as a, quote, global pandemic and a, a mountain of false positives, junk data that's being used in order to drive policy. That's based on what? At the end of the day, that's based on junk data. Yeah. So th- that, those are the fundamental questions that, that we should be asking. It's not just coercion. The last thing I'll say: this is not coercion. This is extortion. You are using this uh, compliance for a medical procedure as extortion. Uh, for somebody to go about and do things that they have, are well within their rights to do, freedom of movement, freedom of travel, freedom to shop, to do commerce, to work, to go and get an education, to get medical care. You're withholding all of these rights based on this This kind of, you know, you, you have to take these vaccines this year, next month it'll be two more, it'll be four more the next year until the next variant comes. Yeah. So where does it end?
0: Uh, Good question. Uh, So where does that leave us then with respect to the lockdown dissenters?
1: Well, there we go. If you you know your history, European history, a lot of people will know what that image is, Mike. That's in France. That's the Maginot line, but more about that later. So lockdown dissenters on the right, and this is very interesting. So just in the last week, we have Peter Hitchens. He has more or less surrendered to the vaccine passport issue. And then we have Lord Sumption. And Nigel Farage also is very pro-vaccine, isn't he? Yes, he's, he's taken a public position on this. So this is the sort of rebel right, if you will, in Britain. And so all of these people are basically on board with vaccine passports, every single one of them. So there you go. Yes to vaccine passports. So there's your opposition on the right uh, in terms of mainstream figures, Mike. So isn't that interesting? Uh, what does that, what, where does that leave us in terms of any viable opposition on these issues? Mm-hmm. Where is the opposition gonna come from? That's the question. Yes. And so what I'm saying is if you're, if you're waiting for, you're relying on uh, some of these mainstream figures to basically take the state to task on the uh, veracity and legitimacy of some of these policies, You're going to be waiting a long time. Mm. Don't hold your breath.
0: Um, So what's going on in the United States? uh?
1: Well, the the idea of vaccine passports is not theoretical, Mike. Uh, New York has now Uh, uh, made it compulsory to go see any sporting events or any large venues you have to have a vaccine passport and it's done by phone so you have to show your ID plus show your vaccinations or your positive test results so they've already implemented it
0: and negative test results I hope
1: negative test results (laughs) yes so the LA Unified School District this is the largest school district in the United States millions of students in Los Angeles basin area they have now announced Mike a full biometric vaccine passport for all students they need this or they cannot attend school it's compulsory so this is now policy we're going to show you a very disturbing video okay shocking this is how they're marketing it okay it's very dark okay but it's got a real kind of happy clappy music track to it and guess who's running the program Microsoft enough said let's watch this uh, presentation
0: Hello. I know you're taking the time to watch because you care and you don't want your child to miss the opportunity to come back to school as soon as possible and in the safest way possible. That's why I'm here today with a big, big announcement and you're the first I'm sharing it with. During the past many months, we've been working hand in hand with Microsoft to create a great solution to bring students, teachers and all who work in schools back to school in the safest way possible. It's a real breakthrough for keeping your child safe when they come back to school. It's called the daily pass. Thank you,
1: Austin. At Microsoft, our top priority is helping educators,
0: students, and their caregivers. I'm not quite sure what happened there, Patrick. Apologies, but so that.
1: there's an there's an animated uh, part to that that's um, a quite stunning video. Uh, so we'll we'll have to put the link in the well, we b- below yes. the below Today's News so you can direct people to that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well. Uh, okay. Let's uh, come back to uh, Didier uh, uh, Redners and uh, these data will be linked to COVID pandemic. And when we come out of this pandemic, we will erase them, is what the European Commissioner for Justice was saying about the the COVID-19 data. Uh, Well, the UK government has, uh, this is a centre for data ethics and innovation. um, And they have decided, or they've uh, just run a poll, and they have decided that the public believe that digital technology has a role to play in tackling the pandemic, but its potential is not fully realised. They say that public support for greater use of digital technology depends on trust how it's governed. So we've got the trust narrative back once again uh, and uh, conventional data analysis has been more widely used in the COVID-19 response than AI. So this comes back to my point earlier, uh, if the data is deleted as, uh, as the EU is claiming it will be, actually will any of the data analysis Will all that data be deleted or uh, as well or not? I suspect not, uh, but uh, we don't need to worry because according to John Whittingdale, uh, we're determined to build back better. Where have we heard that phrase many times?
1: I keep hearing it over and over again. Yes,
0: that would be a great reset.
1: Yeah, that's from uh, Davos. Uh,
0: and capitalize on all we've learned from the pandemic, which has forced us to share data quickly, efficiently and responsibly, but it's for the public good. So that's all we need to worry about. It's going to be shared, but it's for the public good. Um, this, is, uh, uh, this needs to be uh, questioned. This needs to be resisted, I think. Definitely. Um, now, uh, not all going well for, uh, on the vaccination front in Europe because uh, uh, AstraZeneca, the vaccine, has now been, uh, well, The Australians can forget about it because the Italians have uh, blocked its transfer to Australia, its export to Australia. There's a massive fight going on in the EU, uh, apparently, over uh, vaccination availability. Um, And uh, the question I have, Patrick, is what's that all about? Is it really that uh, there isn't the uh, vaccine available? Is it really that as the EU is trying to present, uh, Britain is uh, taking all the vaccines from uh, all the manufacturers? Uh, or is it that, in fact, there's very little demand in the EU, in the EU, and they're trying to build a narrative, a behavioural insights-style narrative, which will uh, bring about demand through? Uh, b- Building a story that you know, your vaccine's being taken away from you.
1: It's not just a behavioral insights narrative, Mike. It's just, it's just this it's straight marketing. Basically, you create artificial scarcity by in the media by saying something short. There's a shortage of something, and then next thing you know, people are queuing up for it. It works for everything from toilet paper to vaccines. So it's it's an old t- tried and true, tested, mm. and it always works.
0: Yes, um, Piers Morgan, Piers our M- favorite. Uh, presenter on television, Pat.
1: Yes, Piers Morgan is the host of uh, Good Morning Britain. Um, If you watch that program, I don't know anybody who does, but we do come across the clips of it from t- from some time so Piers Morgan has been virtue signaling as people know mm. on lockdown and vaccines and you know offering on camera to be taking it with Matt Hancock to get jabbed on camera mm. you remember that yes so and, and so he's he's come out recently he had Dr Hillary Jones who's a, a, a sort of a television high profile TV doctor right uh, he had Hillary Jones on recently watch this clip and basically they're really upset because NH sta- NHS staff are not taking the vaccine for some reason and Piers Morgan is just beside himself and Hillary Jones is offering a scientific explanation as to why.
3: It's it's said that as many as 200,000 NHS and care employees have refused to take the jab despite being offered it and despite working in close proximity to very vulnerable sick people. I, I've talked about this a lot, but I'm appalled by this. Yeah. And I really think it's not acceptable. And it's if not. you work in NHS and care work and you're a potential risk to the people you're caring for, you either have the jab or you don't go to work, I, I think. Look, we, we we know that uh, about 450 or, or more um, COVID cases a day are acquired in hospitals. So, if you've got staff who are potentially uh, able to transmit the virus to you, they shouldn't be in that hospital. Would you expect a surgeon to operate on you if they were HIV positive? Would you expect a surgeon to operate if you uh, hepatitis B positive? No, they're not allowed to. So, if you've got staff who could, mm. could, could who could infect their patients, then it's not. They're not being professionally responsible. Now, I know a lot of them are not on the front line. I know a lot of them um, are on almost minimum wage. But they're working... It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. If they're looking after patients, they should protect the patients by... It doesn't matter how much they the earn. Patients it's, by it's, it's where they're working. They're working inside hospitals and care homes. Yep. Mm. And these, we know that 25% or more of infections are happening yep. inside
0: hospitals. Yes. What do you think of that? I think he's... Uh very upset
1: about things. So Dr. Hillary Jones is saying that the NHS staff not taking the COVID vaccine is equivalent of them being HIV super spreaders running around hospitals. I mean, absolutely a preposterous thing to say on national TV by a uh, supposed qualified doctor there. But uh, the, the point is it's that you're assumed to be infectious and dangerous unless vaccinated tell me what's what is scientific about that assumption
0: Uh, nothing nothing at all
1: it flies in the face of hundreds of years of good medical practice but this is the sort of hysteria and wild hypochondria rhetoric that we're seeing on our mainstream top flagship morning shows on in the country so piers morgan you just remember he's so he's having a go at the nhs staff mike well it wasn't long ago that piers morgan uh, has the NHS is his profile on Twitter he took it off recently. but um, here he is basically he was uh, you know they were saying that he shouldn't get his uh, he, that he shouldn't get his vaccine before somebody who needed it. So he's saying I'm a key worker, Piers Morgan because I'm a journalist covering coronavirus. So I am essential key worker. He, he, this was in May of 2020. 20. So, I mean, so the, he's been doing this now for months and browbeating people who are questioning any of the policies of the lockdowns. He's literally an extension of Boris Johnson on on mainstream TV. And what are Piers Morgan's qualifications to really know what he's talking about for any of this? He's just a pundit. You know, he's a highly paid, I don't know what he gets paid per year, probably in the millions. Yes. But he gets paid, doesn't, doesn't have any particular... Uh, skill set or expertise but yet he is browbeating the public at every turn and he brings on Dr. Hillary Jones and accuses 200,000 NHS staff of being the equivalent of HIV spreaders in the health system I mean unbelievable I think a public apology or just disappearing and not being on TV
0: anymore Sadly, neither of those is likely, but there you go. But anyway, uh, l- look, let's, uh, let's bring this on screen. This is uh, zero, the Zero COVID campaign. Uh, and uh, of course we were talking about this last week as well. Uh, this is the campaign to beat the pandemic because apparently the UK must aim to el- eliminate COVID-19 and to do this, it must close unsafe workplaces, support self-isolation and run tests and trace locally in the public sector. Uh, Well, they're holding an event in Scotland uh, because apparently uh, it's gonna be called a door to COVID to zero COVID. It's gonna have uh, various MPs, MSPs and and, uh, medical people, uh, plus people from the, uh, well, who's behind this? People representing the groups behind this, perhaps. So let's just have a quick look at uh, who the affiliated affiliated organizations are. Uh, And so we've got uh, the unions uh, we've got defend our NHS. We've got uh, more unions and more unions councils. and more unions. Some councils uh, and uh, uh, and we've got the Young Communist League at the end.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So they have they have an interest in this uh, policy, don't they? They're very pro-zero COVID. The uh, the communists on this. I mean, we're not being flippant, Mike. Here, no, no, this we're is, not. this is real. There a lot of the communist uh, political groups. And certainly the uh the, the labor unions are all have been backing this idea of a general strike that you shouldn't go back to work unless the government can guarantee that your workplace is 100% safe. What does that even mean? You know, how long is a piece of string? So Mm -hmm. this is health and safety culture gone completely on steroids and it's really being backed by the hard left. If you look at schools being closed, Mike, not just in Britain, but also in America, the people that are holding up the opening of schools allowing children to get the education that they're entitled to the people holding that up are the teachers unions at almost every turn they're they're the biggest obstacle to, to allowing kids to get the education that they're paying for mm. okay in their taxes and so forth okay so the teachers unions the unions in general are basically taking advantage of this crisis of this situation in order to leverage some additional political power mm. we said that at the very beginning of this a year ago yes and it's still true today so completely in my opinion mike totally opportunistic from a political point of view but i think dangerous as well mm. but they, they they are very much seeing the script of the great reset all of those organizations that you've listed what? so so there is a a, a, a a nice convenient overlap between the hard left the Great Reset and this idea of zero COVID. And isn't it interesting, Mike, the people saying zero COVID, they're also saying zero something else as well, aren't they?
0: Uh, they are, zero carbon, and we'll be coming onto that in just a minute. Uh, so if you like what the UK Column does, and you would like to support us, then please uh, head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and there are options to help us out there and that'd be very much appreciated. Uh, and also share our material on the various platforms. Uh, now, Uh, Just a reminder that uh, Linda Thayer's legal expenses campaign is still running. If you would like to contribute to that, uh, please do so. That's a very important uh, campaign, in my opinion, because uh, uh, Lynn, of course, uh, well, she's out on bail from a a French prison at the moment uh, and uh, really unjustifiable what's going on there. So any help that can be possibly given would be much appreciated. If you want to get the background to this, uh, go onto the UK column website, scroll right down to the bottom, and there's an article there called GCMAF and the persecution of David Noakes, Lynn Thayer and Munu Biotech. And of course, we've got to remember uh, this persecution, this prosecution in, the persecution in the UK and the prosecution in France at the behest of the MHRA, uh, the uh, Medicals, Medic- Medic- Medicines and Healthcare Regulatory Authority in the UK. Uh, and, uh, well, this is the st- same organisation that's given the emergency uh, approval to the vaccines that we've been talking about. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's move on to this. Uh, the Gambling Commission. Uh, everybody would be glad to know that the Gambling Commission has uh, has uh, received the reappointment of two of its commissioners. Uh, first of all, John Bailey here and uh, Catherine Sen. So these two have been uh, reappointed. Uh, why are we worried about that? Because we're wondering whether... Uh, They will be making use of any uh, covert uh, intelligence sources in the uh, not too distant future because, uh, as we warned you about uh, when it was uh, going through Parliament, it has now received royal assent. That's the Covert Human Intelligence Sources Criminal Conduct Act 2021, and that means that the Gambling Commission, amongst others, are entitled to use covert human intelligence sources, and they're entitled to uh, permit them to use criminal conduct in the course of their covert activity. So let's just remember uh, what this was saying. It's a bill, that it was a bill, it's now an act, to make provision for in connection with the authorisation of criminal conduct in the course of or otherwise in connection with the conduct of covert human intelligence sources uh, and it authorises conduct by officials and agents of the security intelligence services, law enforcement and certain other public authorities uh, which would otherwise constitute criminality. Um, Now, at the time, James Brokenshire said that the legislation was being introduced to keep our country safe, because that is the justification for everything that's going on at the moment is keeping the country, keeping people safe. Uh, He went on to say to ensure that our operational agencies and public authorities have access to the tools and intelligence they need to keep us safe, They keep reinforcing this idea of safety. Uh, Throughout history, those entrusted to uphold the law and safeguard national security have used covert human intelligence to support and progress their activities, uh, from Sir Francis Walsingham's use of informers to defend the reign of Elizabeth I and so on. So, uh, but it's all about keeping us safe. So let's have briefly a look at uh, who can authorize this criminality, any police force, uh, the National Crime Agency, the serious fraud office, uh, any of the intelligence services, uh, any of Her Majesty's forces, armed forces that is, uh, Her Majesty's revenue and customs, The Department for Health and Social Care, uh, the Home Office, the Ministry of Justice, can all authorise criminality, the Competition and Markets Authority, uh, the Environment Agency, uh, the Financial Conduct Authority, the Food Standards Agency uh, and the Gambling Commission. Uh, Now at the time uh, James Brokenshire when this was being introduced to Parliament said that he wanted to point out that the Food Standards Agency is required to deal with issues associated with misrepresented food, food that may be harmful for human consumption, so that justifies uh, the use of criminal activity uh, by covert uh, agents. Uh, And uh, he also mentioned the fact, or the alleged fact, that uh, uh, there was specific reference to the Human Rights Act in the bill. Well, I'm going to be very interested to see to what degree the government stands on the human rights act uh, and the european convention on human rights when it comes to vaccine passports uh, and discrimination with vaccine passports uh, so it's very interesting that they attempted to stand on this to to, to get this legislation through parliament uh, at the time it is now an act it has received royal assent on wednesday
1: so it's almost like uh, it's the legalization of like stasi stasi type secret police forces uh you know giving people license to break the law commit crimes uh, in order to get quote intelligence
0: this is absolutely right I- i'd
1: love to hear lord sumption uh comment on this that's it's definitely in his wheelhouse uh i would think as a former chief justice and maybe peter hitchens as well yes what he has to say about this kind of legislation very yes. shocking
0: yes and if anybody wants to uh get a, a pretty good comp- overview of this thing uh, this is The Spectator from the time, this was October 2020, uh, when the bill was really working its way through the House of Commons and so on. Uh, if you look for the article, it's called The Terrifying Consequences of the License to Kill Bill. What about the House of Lords, Mike?
1: Did they, did they not push back? on? Where is the Lords on this?
0: Uh, not, in a, not in any substantive, substantive way. And the House of Lords really isn't functioning uh, at the moment.
1: And why would that be?
0: I think uh, uh, there is a view that uh, because the House of Lords are generally uh, older uh, from the older generation, the the members of the House of Lords, that uh, really they shouldn't be in the House of Lords.
1: It's too dangerous. Uh, It's too
0: dangerous for them, and therefore everything's being done remotely via Zoom or whatever. And are they the best people with this type of technology? I'm not entirely sure, but certainly there doesn't seem to be the same... Uh, level of, of pushback and oversight and amendment from the House of Lords that uh, we might have seen in the past.
1: So the pandemic, well, the COVID is the gift that keeps on giving for some anyway.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, OK, let's uh, come on to the issue of the Great Reset and particularly with respect to farming, because Michael Goh features once again in this. Um, and uh, well, this is the Sustainable Development Impact Summit, and th- this uh, took place uh last year, September, uh, and it was talking about farming uh, and so on and and, uh, the sustainability of farming. Uh, Agricultural practices by the world's farmers cannot be changed through shifts in consumption alone, apparently. Uh, It's not a secret that farmers need tools to adapt to outdated agricultural practices given climate change. And until now, most of the change has been pushed by the consumer, but to to truly reset this change needs to come uh, and start from the farmers, and we can help support them uh, to do that. Uh, is what the Great Reset and the World Economic Forum is saying. So why are we mentioning this? Well, uh, a number of years ago, I think it was 2017. Uh, Michael Gove said this: the UK has 30 to 40 is, sorry is 30 to 40 years away from the fundamental eradication of soil fertility. So he was saying that really the UK farming industry had 30 to 40 harvests left. And that was really it. Now he was echoing uh, comments from others. Uh, only 100 harvests left. Harvests left in UK farm so- soils. Uh, uh, scientists war- warned. This is from Sheffield University in 2014, uh, and they were claiming 100 harvests then. Uh, but it's not just the UK because globally, this is Scientific American. Only 60 years of farming left if soil degradation continues. Well, the question is, and was. Uh, Is there any truth to this? Would Michael Gove have been less than truthful? Uh, Would that be possible? Well, let's have a look at this because this was released last month, uh, or well, actually mid-January. I didn't see it until last week. Um, This is Our World in Data. Uh, Our World in Data is uh, is sort of a sustainable, uh, pro-sustainability, pro-millennium development goals website but it's uh, run out of Oxford University uh, okay and uh, this particular article do we only have 60 harvests left uh, by Hannah, Dr Hannah Ritchie um, and uh, well this is what she has to say uh, but the 60 harvests claim is quite clearly false. Um, so I do recommend people go and have a look at this uh, there's a whole section on this on the lifestyle li- lifespans of the world soils. Uh, And she's saying that they span five orders of magnitude. So let's have a look at exactly what it's saying here. More than 90% of the conventionally managed soils had a lifespan greater than 60 years. The median was 491 years for thinning soils. Half had a lifespan greater than 1,000 years and 18% exceeded 10,000 years.
1: So Gove was slightly off.
0: Uh, Just slightly off, as if he would lie. Uh, But then it goes on to say, Michael Gove said the UK had only 30 to 40 years of harvest left because it was drenching them with chemicals. And the point that she makes is that in fact shifting to a no-till Approach often requires more pesticides and fertilizers, not less. Mm. Um, so, uh, the fact is that in the UK, most arable farmers are operating a no-till uh, regime already. Um, and uh, uh, so, you know, the, the criticism isn't justified as usual with these things. Uh, but the article goes on to say: people will often argue that while extreme headlines may be untruthful, they're worth it if they force people to take action. I don't buy it, says Hannah Ritchie. It can be damaging in many ways. And I just thought that was a really interesting way to end the article because that could equally be applied to uh, the whole COVID uh, approach
1: and also to climate change as well because that that's the sort of impetus behind climate change. Is We need to raise the alarm as Greta Thunberg says our house is on fire and the world economic forum says You know climate change is happening because of climate change fill in the blanks basically, but when you look at the actual data from the uh, uh, Even the IPC scientists how much climate change is happening? nobody can really answer that question not not in the short term at least so is there actually global warming happening? So why are we doing aline, lining up all these policies and restructuring our economy, restructuring society on earth because of, quote, climate change?
0: Uh, this is, this is a, a very contentious topic for many people. And I know that some people watching this program that have come to the UK column as a result of our coverage of, of COVID are gonna disagree with our position on this. But when you look at the way the, the, the SARS-CoV-2 science has been done, and you compare it with the way that the climate change science has been done over the last 30, 40 years, there are major parallels to be drawn there.
1: It's computer uh, modeling, for, yes, for
0: instance. Yes, for instance. And so, you know, if, if you are uh, struggling with, with our position on this, uh, I, I urge you to... to actually take a step back and and look at it again look at
1: it more critically just like you would look at at, at claims of a global pandemic more critically we also have to apply the same critical um, uh, critical focus on claims about man-made global warming aka climate change because the two things are very much uh, linked and as you say Mike um, they're, they're so parallel in terms of their likeliness.
0: Yes. Uh, now, this, uh, the PPCA Global Summit was taking place this week. It ended yesterday. Um, this is all about coal and uh, reducing the amount of coal usage in the world. Uh, so the UK and Canadian governments co-chairs of the PPCA will wear hold, ho- co-hosting this virtual summit uh, to boost international commitment and cooperation, shift away from coal power generation ahead of the United Nations Climate Change Conference. Uh, which of course is taking place in uh, November in Glasgow. Um, So uh, this is uh, Alex Sharma. He was speaking at it, of course, and he had this to say in the UK. uh, We have cut the proportion of coal in our energy mix from 40% in 2012 to less than 2% today. Uh, And uh, well, if you were watching UK Coal News Extra, you got a little bit of a preview of this because, uh, well, unfortunately, 2% today, he's not quite accurate about that because if we look at uh, what's going on with electricity generation today or any day this week, there has been zero wind, there's been no sunlight, uh, and so really the renewables uh, sources of energy uh, haven't been providing the goods. And so coal is actually providing 5% of our energy mix at this point in time. Um, But that's...
1: And natural gas is providing...
0: About
1: 57%. So all they've done is replace a lot of what was being used with coal with natural gas. Yes. So from one fossil fuel to another fossil fuel that's supposedly green. So this is a shell game on so uh, many levels. uh,
0: Yes, it certainly is. But so what's really behind it? Well, I think we get a clue from articles uh, like this. Again, from Scientific American, Africa needs fossil fuels to end energy apartheid. The the fact is, Patrick, as we highlighted on this program a couple of weeks ago, if we were to replace the current car fleet in the UK with electric cars, uh, we would need over 200% of the global production uh, of cobalt Mm. just just to replace the UK's car fleets, never mind any other country on the planet. Mm. Um, And, of course, uh, where's cobalt mined?
1: Um, in Africa, in Africa, by children,
0: by children. So, so if uh, if Africa needs fossil fuels uh, and they're permitted to use fossil fuels for their energy production, then Africa would might decide to sort of develop. Um, so that would mean that they may want access to cobalt for their own purposes that would be be tricky so we we couldn't have have that that. Uh, and then I'd just uh, like to highlight this of course uh, this is the current narrative that it's the dirty Chinese that are going into Africa and encouraging them to use coal uh, in in Africa and that really has to be discouraged as well
1: last week uh, or two weeks ago Mike uh, the wind and solar basically died in Germany Germany is the greenest uh, government in terms of so-called renewables in the world. So guess what they did? They had to fire up the coal plants, Mike. Otherwise Germany would have froze to death. This was just a couple of weeks ago. So again, this a lot of this is rhetoric and kind of greenwashing. Uh, what's behind this, Mike, is a huge multi-trillion dollar industry that uh, a lot of people with money are lining up to basically harvest a, mm. a totally new market. Uh, that's driven by this idea of uh, climate change.
0: Yes. Um, uh, Look, we'll just finish off uh, with this one, Patrick, because uh, here is, uh, uh, well, what is it? It's a B-1, a B-1 bomber. What kind of weapons do these carry? Uh, Nuclear. Nuclear, Yes. Uh, So this is landing in Norway. Uh, We mentioned a few weeks ago that this was going to happen. It has now happened, uh, and uh, NATO has just released... Uh, some video of it. So here it is on screen. Um, So this is the first time in history that uh, the US Air Force B1Bs have uh, been running sorties from Norway. Uh, Where do you think they're flying? Well, they're flying over the Baltic states, of course, because why do we want to do that? We've got to keep the pressure on Russia. Um, They're part of a Bomber Task Force Europe mission, uh, which allows US pilots to familiarise themselves with the airspace and their NATO allies through a series of training exercises. And it's the first time that these uh, aircraft have flown out of uh, Norway. Uh, so they uh, that, that's what's going on. I can't imagine that uh, Russia would be upset about that in any way, shape or form. Can you?
1: No, it's just another provocation. This is just kind of keeping keeping the, uh, the, the NATO machine churning. Uh, that's all.
0: Yes. Well, Okay, we will leave it there for today. Thank you very much for joining us today. Patrick, thank you for joining us. Uh, We'll be back at the same time as usual, 1 p.m. on Monday. Hope you have a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you then. Bye-bye.